This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. To let my dogs in. I am so sorry. We are alive. Fight Bananas, host fight shows. Elle's got to go take care of the dogs. I'm just going to take the intro right away. We had Max Holloway versus the Korean Zombie. The Korean Zombie hanging the gloves up after an illustrious career. Tons of great memories. Max Holloway getting the knockoff off the back foot. It was insane. Anybody that calls in pillow hands should not be any you know anywhere near a journalist for MMA because this man can put people to sleep. He has just fought a lot of tough guys. But, man, the Korean Zombie was one of the most insane entrances walking down to the octagon with everybody singing his song, him taking in the moment, and not just the entrance, the exit. The way that Max Holloway gave him the respect as soon as Mike Bisping put a mic in front of him. He gave the respect to Korean Zombie. Korean Zombie retired, and it was an amazing moment to watch him come, to even walk out with the music playing uh, with that as well. Al, I want you to take away, what were your emotions, uh, what were you going through with when you saw everything with uh, Chan Sung Jung, Korean Zombie? So Zombie was one of the first fighters that made me fall in love with the sport. Uh, I, it was his fight with Yair Rodriguez was like when I became a huge fan of him. And then he followed that up, obviously, with huge knockouts over, you know, Frankie Edgar, who at the time was a star. And I, I just fell in love with his style. Never want to fight like that. I don't want that to be my style, but I absolutely want to watch him fight all the time for the rest of eternity. I was relieved to see him retire because I agree that he has sacrificed his body and he has given us these amazing fights and he deserves to take his health with him and go and retire and live out the rest of his life. But man, I'm, I'm going to miss those, those zombie fights of, of old, you know, that was such a, I don't think I've ever cried when a fighter retired that I don't know but I definitely teared up, like watching him exit the arena, the crowd singing zombie, like just the, yeah, really, really emotional uh, experience. Uh, we actually have the same manager and I'm texting him and I was like, were you, were you crying? He's like sobbing. <laughs> like, I just can't imagine, you know, being, getting to be part of just a small piece of like a guy like that's career who has always demonstrated a really great attitude, I think. And I'm, I've never been a huge fan of the the Sean O'Malley's of the sport or the Conor McGregor's that which Conor also obviously he had these spectacular knockouts so is Sean O'Malley they're great fighters but they've led more with their trash talk and their personalities than with their fighting style zombie has always been super respectful very quiet about that and just puts on a show and yeah so I it's it was bittersweet but absolutely awesome yeah, very emotional moment. I mean, grown men across the globe were absolutely crying, if not had tears in their eyes. Um, you Like you said, you were emotional. I couldn't imagine anyone who was a fan of the sport uh, and watched Zombie's career not being emotional during that time. And, and for Max Holloway, like you said, for him to go on and, and live the rest of his life, I want to give a little shout out to Max Holloway, too. In the first or second round when he dropped him, he actually didn't go for a follow-up shot. He, he went to let the ref try to stop it. TKZ actually sprawled up and, and tried to go. Max went for a submission. 
in the post fight uh conference max actually said he heard him gurgling he thought he went out it seemed like he went out and came back to life that's the korean zombie for you and like you said his legacy there's not many fighters that live on by their nickname but the korean zombie is chan sung jung he is known by the moniker the korean zombie people announce him as the as the korean zombie and when his graphics pop up it's the korean zombie not many fighters are known by their nicknames like you said he let his fighting do the work for him to allow that nickname and to allow the crowd to create what we know as the legend of the korean zombie so i want you to just give us what was your favorite moment of his career um watching him are you also tired of one size fits all weight loss plans meet noom the personalized solution that meets you where you are noom is able to understand your unique needs from dietary restrictions to medical concerns Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss, tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself with personalized lessons and expert coaching. Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Oh my gosh. I, his his knockouts over he's a good friend of mine but his knockouts over Moicano and, and Frankie Edgar were just spectacular you know he he's always had that ability and you even saw it in this fight he hurt Max in the first round like he kind of wobbled him a little bit we don't see that from Max Holloway even against some really heavy hitters so to see Zombie still carrying that power even though he's not as quick as he once was and he can't quite take the damage that he once could. And he's he's definitely aged throughout his career. He still had that ability to put Max on a back foot. This was one of the lowest volume Max Holloway fights we've seen in a while. Like he wasn't throwing, you know, 85 significant strikes around in this fight because he had to be aware of the power that even at this very late stage of his career, the zombie still possesses. Man, he was throwing a punch unconscious at the end like he literally was out falling down and still threw another strike i was like ah like obviously we would have yes we all would have rather see him have a war you know fight to the decision but that was kind of the most poetic way for the korean zombies career to end right like the dude's literally unconscious and he's still winging this huge powerful hook at the same time and and i think you perfectly described it what a perfect way for him to go out on his shield he was hitting max holloway with some good shots the left hooks were putting were stinging him there was a point in the first round like you said actually hurt max holloway had him backing up and then got caught by max so this was actually just uh we obviously are talking about the career of the korean zombie but getting back to the fight itself this was an insane fight like from start to finish like you said the korean zombie um 
was hurting Max Holloway. He had him, you know, a little more defensive. And you're talking about a guy that fought Calvin Cater and beat him up, that beat up a guy in Arnold Allen. I think he was on 14 straight before he left or before he beat, before he fought Max Holloway. These are guys that put everyone else out. I mean, if you looked at what Arnold Allen did to Dan Hooker, right? And then he goes and he looks like a baby against Max Holloway, right? For the Korean Zombie, this late in his career, the last fight in his career to do what he did to have Max Holloway hurt. Uh, and like you said, the right, the left hook that he was throwing unconscious, I thought I was the only one that noticed that, but it was after he got knocked out, he still initiated another punch. It wasn't like Crazy. he started the punch before he got knocked out. No, that was an extra punch. <laughs> While he was face planting on the floor, it was one of the craziest things you can see. Perfectly way, perfect way for the Korean zombie to go out on his shield, like a no true one warrior, like a true zombie absolutely would. But now, the next question is maybe for Max Holloway, right? Like I want to kind of move on the the conversation to what's next for Max because obviously the the zombie wasn't ranked top five. He was outside the top five. This was something that Max kind of did out of respect. So I want to give you know you want to definitely give a huge credit to Max Holloway, giving him the credit to fighting when Hawaii is also with going on with the fires right now too. So this was definitely an emotional moment for him. Want to give out a shout out to him. Give our support and love into Hawaii. Um, but Max Holloway now is uh, kind of in that Rob Whitaker position before, you know, what happened to Rob Whitaker, where he is beating literally every single other person that can get up there. And, and outside of that, Alex is just kind of turning on everyone else. So now what do you do with Max Holloway? He just needs to keep doing what he's doing. Like, honestly, Max is in a unique position because he's even he's more immortalized than Robert Whitaker you know, ever will be like he, I don't think anybody's going to Duplessis Max Holloway, you know, at least not anytime soon. And so it like, obviously the most logical matchup, if you're following like the hierarchy would be to match him up with Ilya before Ilya gets a title shot. I think that's a terrible idea because right now you have a division with zero contenders, except for Ilya Taporia. Nobody wants to see Volkanovsky fight Max Holloway for a gazillionth time. It, it just, nobody wants to see that. So if you put Ilya against Max, you run the risk of Max beating Ilya, just like he did Arnold Allen. And now you're out one more contender. So I think the smart thing to do with the division for the UFC is to just take Ilya, match him up with Volkanovsky, make that fight happen. Spain, Australia, wherever they feel like it's going to be the biggest the biggest spot to do that, make that fight happen ASAP. Because if you keep giving these young to contenders to Max Holloway, you're just going to keep losing contenders. And I, do I think Ilya is ready for Volkanovski? He might be, he might not be, but it it doesn't make sense to, to like halt his growth and be short another contender. Because then the only fight that makes sense is Vulcan Islam again. Yeah, we're, like you said, it's a very unique spot because he's turning down every and all other contenders. And I mean, for Max Holloway, with the amount of fights that he has on the resume, for the length of the championship reign that he has, the dude's only 31 years old. Like, he's still pretty fresh and pretty young. And sure, you can say that maybe he's taken a lot of damage, but I mean, you talk about the way he's trained. He's only maybe didn't hurt by like Dustin Poirier when he went up to 155. This fight maybe took a couple of shots. 
ate some or had some cosmetic damage against Alexander Volkanovsky, but I don't think he was necessarily rattled. So you can't really say that Max Holloway has really too much tread on the tires when it comes to that chin. So like you said, now it's, it's really unique because it's not like he's been knocked out. It's not like he's been, you know, reeling against fighters or he's been declining against young and hungry contenders. He's beating everyone else. I think perfectly like what you said, you have to let Ilya Toporia fight Alexander Volkanovsky or else you're going to run the risk of starving the, starving the division of any contenders. And at that point, you um, you just kind of make it where the division becomes uninteresting just because of the fact that there's no real contenders out of Max Holloway. And like you said, we've seen that fight already. We know what happens in that fight. It's you're going to need a little bit more before. And I love Max Holloway. I do think he's the number two guy in that division, but I, it's tough to see him run that back again. It's just like, you don't, you know, you've seen that fight already. So he's going to have to turn out another couple of contenders before he fights next. But um, any closing thoughts on Max Holloway versus Korean zombie or anything moving forward with both those guys? I'm going to be honest. I didn't want to see this fight and it was more my like just my emotions like i love max holloway i love zombie but i just i was like man i don't i don't want to see zombie get beat up by max like like you said like you're like yeah it was really good of max to take this fight it's also like heck yeah i'm gonna take a fight that's a fantastic matchup for me because it was you know and but zombie not only impressed me but like it even though he got finished it was still like he had his moments and it still was this really it was still a really fun fight to watch. It it made me it made me a lot happier than I thought it would. I definitely, like I said, was super bittersweet. I love Zombie. Didn't want to see him go out like that, but it was also like it was a war. He had his moments against literally one of the most respected fighters in the UFC, and to see him go out that way was the right way to do it. I'm glad we saw that instead of him fighting somebody who was an easy win and then just going out because that wouldn't have been the Zombie way to go. Yeah, a lot of the times when you talk about fighters riding off into the sunset, it's it's against somebody that's unranked. It's against somebody that's on the lower level, right? So for the Green Zombie to fight literally the second best featherweight on the in, maybe in history, right? To go toe to toe with the second best featherweight in history, um, and, and last and hurt him and have his moments. Like you said, that's the best way for the Korean Zombie to go out. All the well wishes for him for the rest of his career. You always question what would have happened if he didn't have to serve that mandatory time for uh, his country mm -hmm. because that was essentially during the prime of his career. But even with that being said, it shows that sometimes you don't have to become a champion in the UFC to become a legend, to become somebody that everybody remembers. Let your, let your fighting do the talking for you. Let what you do inside of the cage make what the resume speaks for you. And this is a, what Korean Zombie you know, embodied outside of that. So huge respect to him. Shout out to him. Shout out to Max for getting the nasty knockout win as well. We all we gave a lot of love to Korean Zombie. What obviously want to give some love to Max. Yeah. Let's talk about this co-main event because it was a very very interesting one. Um, I, I actually thought it was scored right in my opinion. Uh, I think a lot of people had it the other way, but I, I, I you know I could see maybe in one championship rules is if you scored it all as one round. But I saw it where you know you had uh, Anthony Smith in the first or Anthony Smith. Anthony, yeah, in the first round, um, you know, landing some really good leg kicks, just really finding the target um, against Ryan Spann. In the second round, obviously things changed here. It was a left hook that bounced off the left eye um, and really seemed to swell up and, and made the, you know, the left eye of, of Anthony Smith really just start to bubble. It's made him actually fold. And in his post-fight interview, he was like, hey, uh, I had to either fold or get up. He sprawled. He ended up, you know, end up on his back for a little bit, took some ground and pound. 
And but he got up and he was able to go from there. But in the third round, here's what my issue was with Ryan Spann. I don't really I didn't really see him throw anything in the first three rounds. I was going for Ryan Spann in this fight. So when I'm going for a fighter, I'm always um, a little more anxious when it comes to the scoring. So I'm looking at it from Anthony Smith's perspective. Like how is he where does his odds or where does his path for victory? And it seemed like Ryan just wasn't throwing in the first three minutes. Now, don't get me wrong. With a minute 45 to go, minute 30 to go, that's when he started landing some good shots. And even Mike Bisping, with I think like 15, 20 seconds, there was a nice shot that Ryan Spann landed. And Mike Bisping said, hey, that's not a good visual for the judges. So you could have gave that third round to anybody. But I think the volume or just the little bit extra that Anthony Smith did at the beginning of the third round allowed him to win that round. The end of the round was a lot closer. You could have gave maybe the last minute and a half, two minutes to Anthony or to Ryan Spann. But I think overall, two to one, Anthony Smith. Even though if you look at the overall fight, you have to give the overall fight to Ryan Spann. When you look at the way that's scoring each round, I gave it to Anthony Smith. You seem to disagree with me. So go ahead and give me your argument. So does Dave. But uh, Dave says two to one. I Here's where – but the you don't score the fight minute by minute. You score it round by round. So you can't just say, oh, Spann won the last two minutes of the round and Smith run, won the first three minutes of the round, so Smith won the round. Smith didn't. They didn't, nothing happened. The only big things that happened in round three was Span hurting Anthony Smith because he did hurt him twice. So it's like, how how can that not be his round when nothing else happened? Like Anthony Smith didn't land any good strike, any good shots in the third. He absolutely won the first. Span absolutely won the second. Super disappointed in Span in the second because he, a he let him up for no reason. I wonder if maybe he was worried about getting caught in like uh, some a sneaky triangle or something. But like Smith wasn't throwing anything up. He was just accepting being on his back. So I don't, if you're going to let the guy up, at least capitalize on the fact that he's hurt. And he just did nothing. He just stood in front of him. So I can, I, I agree with you that I don't think Span did what he should have done. And I was honestly, the fight was not great by any means, but he, I still thought he should have won two and three, in my opinion. But it's like, yeah, you're right. If Span had done his job in the second and the third, it would have been, I think, A, he would have finished Anthony Smith if he had kept, like, push. If he had kept pressing him as soon as he let him up. Like, he didn't even want to get up off his back. So as soon as he had st- stood up, if he pressured him again and just started landing, I think he would have finished him. I think he would have dropped him again and absolutely would have, like, he would have covered up. He would have finished him. Even without that... Like you said, if he had been a little bit more active in the third, I think it easily would have been a, a better round for him. But I still, I'm still not sold on Anthony Smith winning that fight. And also, yeah, Dave pointed out as well, damage, damage. Yeah. I like that's been a big. I almost think that some of the judges putting are putting too much of an emphasis on damage, and then we'll get these random fights where they almost put no emphasis on damage because Span really wasn't wearing anything at the end of the fight versus Anthony Smith's eye was just ballooned up, you know? So I think that's interesting where some fights it's one way and then some, it seems like they don't care at all with the damage. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, you're absolutely correct because I think one way you can look at it is two fights I go to when it's when you talk about damage versus control, maybe also volume being one of those things. But when it comes to specifically damage versus control, two fights that make me really question where with the judging is you had Brandon Moreno versus Alexandra Pantoja, where Moreno was landing more of the damaging shots in the round, but Pantoja was getting him down. But then you had Alex Pereira versus Jan Blahovic, where Jan was getting control time, but Alex was getting the damage. 
but you scored them differently. You gave one guy the one who had the damage. You only gave one guy that had the control when they had Alexander Pantoja. That's where the question marks really come in. It's like, okay, like you said, I don't disagree with you that you that Ryan Spann had the most damaging parts of the third round. But uh, I, I just thought that Anthony Smith was able to maintain something throughout the entire round. So maybe just that constant little low level instead of just that little burst towards the end um, maybe sold it for me, you know, on the other end. But like I said, I was rooting for Ryan Spann, you know, right. so I wanted him to win. But looking at it purposely from the other end, that's what I saw from that side. But like I said, when it comes to the, the damage versus the volume, the damage really came in the last minute and a half. The fight in that third round didn't start to the last minute and a half. And that's when Ryan Spann did his damage. He hurt him. He made Anthony Smith have to cover up because that eye was ballooned up. So anytime he even touched it, it was hurting him. You know about the orbital damage that Anthony Smith has gone through before. So that's a thing that could potentially be there too. So uh, I just wish that Anthony or Ryan Spann stepped on the gas a little bit more. I think if he just touched up that little that eye just a few more times, he really could have got him out of there and gotten the finish. And this is why you don't let fights go to the judges' scorecards. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what you let it go from there. I do have one point with the damage versus uh, control. I don't think it's fair to compare a flyweight fight with a middleweight with, or with a light heavyweight fight. And the reason being is you can say the more damaging shots, but the more damaging shots at flyweight are not as close to ending the fight as Alex Pereira is at 205. And I think that that's a really important piece that people forget about. Cause I, it's, I think the reason there is an emphasis on damage is it's, whoever is closest to finishing the fight. And there weren't a whole lot of times that Brandon Moreno was close to finishing that fight. There were a whole lot of times where Alex Pereira's power was put on display and almost finished the fight, you know? So I, I think that's always an interesting addition to that scoring is how it varies across weight classes. Yeah, I would love to, you know, if there was a way that AI can make this like a video game and you can see how much health they're knocking out of the other person. You know, like you said, a flyweight is going to maybe like get like 15 damage on a punch, right. but you have somebody in light heavyweight, they're going to get like 115 per punch and they got two punches and their opponent's out with, you know, however much health they got. So some point, maybe we'll get some AI health generation. You know, we'll see how much chin each person has. You know, maybe that's the future. Machine learning, you know, AI will go from there. Perfect fight <laughs> Um, I want to move to actually one of the other fights on this card. Before we talk about Juju Kakadzke and Alex Caceres, I want to talk about Aaron Blanchfield and Tyler Santos because I was actually um, really impressed by Blanchfield and her ability to weather the storm in the first round of Santos because in the first round, Santos did an excellent – I mean, not just in the first round. The entire fight, Santos did a great job defending takedowns. The only time she actually got takedown in, in the second round was when she got uh, messed up on a takedown of her own. Right. And then, then yeah. she went on her back. But in the first round, she was essentially like big sistering Aaron Blanchfield. She was out muscling her. The strikes that she was landing were just a lot had a lot more pop on them. Um, she was able to get out of the clinch, dig those underhooks. Even when Aaron Blanchfield had her hands locked, she was able to get those underhooks, dig them up, drag them up her body and then break the underhook and circle off. So she did an excellent job um, in the first round. Tyler Santos did. But like I said, I want to give the credit to Blanchfield because what she did in the second and third round was just wear her out. And this is something you want to see for a young fighter. For her to go up against Tyler Santos, who people say potentially beat Valentina Shevchenko in that fight, right? For her to go against this fighter who has immense power that's knocked other females out, to stand in the fire, to 
create a new game plan during the fight because she couldn't get the takedown immediately. And for her at the end of the third round to actually start landing her own shots and landing her own punches and her own inside kicks to see her growth and to see her make a change in the game plan within the duration of the fight was something that really impressed me. What did you see in that fight? Um, so very similar to what you said. I actually, so I broke this fight down on, on Fight Bananas. Uh, go look at those extra picks. I know it's after the fact now, but uh, I literally said exactly this. Uh, when, when I was breaking down the fight, I said, I, I think that Tyla Santos will do better with her range early, but I think that Erin Blanchfield does a better job making in-fight adjustments. I think she has the better fight IQ. I think Tyla Santos is always the same fighter, and I think Blanchfield grows inside of rounds. Absolutely. There's one teeny adjustment I wish I'd seen her make. Tyla Santos was literally putting both her arms straight down to dig underhooks because she knew the takedown was coming. I was talking to Dave about this earlier tonight. I would have loved to see her fake a shot, bring an overhand or like a nice big hook. Uh, my coach Mike Brown is all about that. He did that in a lot of his fights. I love that. And I think she would have it would have opened up a lot more for her if she had started to mix those two things together rather than just mixing the striking to the shot. Um, but at, you're right. Like she, uh, I heard her coaches say in between either the, I think it was in between the first and second round, they said either all the way in or all the way out. And that first round, she was kind of stuck in the middle. She wanted to stand right in front of her because she loves to pressure people and she wasn't doing a great job moving her feet. And she absolutely got touched up a lot more in that first round. Second round, the adjustments were made. She was out far. She was landing some high kicks, popping in with that really crisp one, two coming back out. She was making Santos miss. And she was absolutely wearing her down. I agree with everything you said. And now she's calling for the title shot. So obviously, I think in the first or the Latin night for UFC, they're doing uh, Alexa Grasso versus Valentina Shevchenko. So um, Aaron Blanchfield for the next title shot. Do you see that for her? And if it's her, I think Valentina wins the belt back. You know, I, I per, even though I'm a, I love Alexa Grasso, I think Valentina wins the belt back. Um, her versus Valentina, how do you think that goes? Dave's absolutely right. This is all I want to talk about. I'm so excited about it. Um, so I, I think she beats Grosso. I do. I think she is ready for Grosso. I don't think Grosso has the power to keep her off of her. I, I don't think she is as strong as Tyla Santos at jacking up those underhooks. I absolutely see uh, Blanchfield getting her down and getting to the back. Shevchenko, I'm not sure if Blanchfield is ready for her or not. I think she absolutely could be ready for her by December because she gets better every single time we see her out, which means that she's getting better every single day that she's training in between those fights and all the time that we're not seeing. And I, so she could improve that, like her striking, but I think that there are some adjustments she needs to make so that she is a little bit more defensively sound when she's fighting somebody who's going to be throwing these fast kicks, these spinning kicks, high head kicks, kicks up the middle, and also has that strength and that athleticism and the good grappling. I think Blanchfield's wrestling is exceedingly better than Valentina Shevchenko. Something I love about Erin Blanchfield, even though she got, she went, what, over 14 in this fight uh, with her takedowns, she was never in a bad position because of a takedown she shot. I Like, comparing it to the Bedoya fight earlier um, this morning before the Blanchfield fight, anytime he would shoot, and Song would defend. It looked terrible for Bedoya. He'd get super extended. He'd get hit off of it. Blanchfield takes such beautiful shots that even when she doesn't get the takedown, 
Her back is straight, her head is up, and she can immediately pull to the body lock. And she's never in a compromising position because she took a bad shot. And I think that's really important against somebody like Valentina Shevchenko, who is going to capitalize on those small mistakes. There's not, Blanchfield doesn't make a ton of mistakes. She she has, obviously, she had, she had an off, like a, a less than stellar round, but she adjusts so well. You don't really see her make like big gaping mistakes like Tyler Santos did where she pulled, basically pulled Blanchfield on top of her and gave up that takedown. So I, I could see her absolutely winning the belt this year. Yeah, and like you said, I think something that is not talked about enough maybe is maybe if you don't get that takedown, and we could potentially see that, which would be insane. And I yeah. think it's really good for the division in a way because it allows for those contenders to have that belief. And I think belief in a contender is so important, right? Because if you have a fighter that goes into the cage thinking they're not going to win, you're going to have a Laura Murphy fight where they just are fighting defensive to not get stopped, essentially, right? So I think having a fighter that believes in themselves and a division that believe they can get to the title makes it all the more exciting. And I love seeing title changes. I mean, you want to see the you know longstanding champions. You want to see reigning champions, too. But I think sometimes it's exciting to have a division or two where the championship is just being passed around because fights are so exciting and fighters one through eight are all just razor thin from each other. So uh, I think something, go ahead, sorry. Division where there was a reigning champ and now we're seeing, we're seeing something change, you know? It's the passing of the guard, right? Valentina has been reigning for so long, you know, it's, it's to that next step now. It's almost like John Jones in the light heavyweight division, right? He was reigning for so long. And now that that belt, you know, unfortunately for Jamal Hill with that injury, of course, but that belt is just going all around the place from now. Um, But I think something like you said that you brought up was really good point um, is that she's really not really often in a bad spot. Right. Like you said, in the first round, she had some range adjustment issues trying to find the range, getting caught in between. But I think what she really adjusted and did well is even when she didn't get to takedown, she got the clinch, pushed you up against the cage. Right. And even though that's not the most entertaining thing, when you have someone who is a dancer, shooter, can move around like Valentina Shevchenko, you need to be able to stop that person. You need to be able to hold them in place and, and be able to ground them. So that way, you know, they can't use all that movement and tire them out, right? This is a fighter that's having some more miles on her tire too. So if you can make Valentina start wearing out, and we've seen fighters take Valentina down. So if you can get her against the cage. That's exactly how Jennifer Maya won that first round, was just grinding her up against the cage. And if they can do that, right, there's the path to victory. And it's a safe path to victory because it's not like, okay, it's Aljo versus Sean O'Malley where the only thing Sean O'Malley can do is knock him out. Hey, he did that. Don't get me wrong. But most times the grappler is going to win that exchange. The most times the grappler is going to get to the striker. But O'Malley did the exact thing that he had to do. Step back, knocked him out. Shout out to him. But when you have a fighter like, you know, Aaron Blanchfield, who can not only get the control time, but get the takedowns and now start to maybe put the put the ones and twos together on the feet, right? Because in the third round, she was starting to piece Tyler Santos up a little bit because she tired her out, right? She made her have to dig those underhooks. And I think we both uh, went on the same point, or you you made the point, but we both, you know, did a little overhand, digging the overhand, faking the takedown and just coming up over the top because those hands were dropping immediately. It was so, she was so ready for the takedowns. That's why she defended all of them. But she, if she would just mix it up a little bit more, it's just those little things and those growing moments that she's going to be able to make. I would be 
more than excited to see her versus Valentina. Even if she doesn't win the fight, I think if she loses that fight, she can make so many adjustments and grow so much from that experience. And at such a young age, it's going to be so exciting. Closing thoughts on this one. Yeah, just exactly what you said. Regardless of whether or not she has the belt by the end of the year, Erin Blanchfield will be a flyweight champion at some point. She, I love her mentality. I, I love that you touched on that. She is absolutely so confident in herself, so confident in her ability. And I think that these big wins, somebody like Jessica Andras, she just leveled up. And then somebody like Tala Santos, she's going to level up again and again and again. Moving on to the next fight I want to talk about. I just want to show a little love to Rinya Nakamura. The dude is an absolute monster at 135. I mean, they found him um, on looking for a fight. I believe they called it. This was called um, for UFC. And he's undefeated 8-0. The dude had a bunch of first-round finishes. Wasn't able to get the finish tonight. But, man, the way that he ragdolled his opponent throughout the fight was just insane. He was able to get into a crucifix position he almost he like he had the back he was able to do a lot of impressive things japan you might have a contender in rinya nakamura what did you see in him dude i uh so he actually did this last camp at att so i got to see him a little bit more um and he didn't have highlighter yellow hair at first and so i was like that guy looks so familiar and then i realized who it was um but he man that kid can wrestle that first exchange when he shot that beautiful high crotch, didn't get it. And then he just drops and ankle picks and goes straight to the lace. I was, I had to rewind it like four times and rewatch that. I was like, what, what was that? How do I do that? Like just absolutely beautiful wrestling. I think he, I love how he uses the crucifix position. He actually has really great ground and pound, which sometimes when young wrestlers transition over to uh, MMA, we don't see that right away. They get a little bit hung up on the control. Something I would like to see from him as he starts fighting these tougher guys is I'd like to see him go for higher percentage submissions. I feel like he's really in love. And I've seen this with other high-level wrestlers, high-level judo people. They get they fall in love with like some kind of like whether it's their arm bar or or that uh, he went for so many subs. There was an arm bar, there was a north-south North south, yeah. There was a key lock, like I think he, he also went for a uh... crucifix. Yeah, exactly. And But all of those are pretty low percentage, especially against a guy who's just trying to not get finished like Fernie was. And I think, you know, building – the reason Khabib was so, so dominant is he he stuck with – you know, he tied people up. He tied up their, their wrists so that he could get to the back, and he choked them out. He, he took the back, and he did rear naked chokes. I think arm triangles and rear naked chokes is like – should be these wrestlers bread and butter because if you can if you get really good at both of those you can just cycle them back and forth and i think he'll see a lot more finishes if he starts using that phenomenal ground and pound to set those up instead of you know jumping for arms and things like that yeah i mean to your point wrestlers whenever they're wrestling their goal is to pin their opponent's shoulder to the mat so if they already have that shoulder pressure getting to that side and getting that head and arm choke it should be one of those things that they have in their tool bags because it's a high percentage choke. Like you said, the North-South choke, I actually thought he was going to get it, to be honest. It was pretty deep. I was excited to watch it, but uh, he didn't end up getting He went for a straight arm bar as well, almost had that one, but then he kind of slipped the angle. Like you said, he needs to go for some more high, uh, high percentage submissions because this was the first fight that he had against somebody that's not necessarily a, a known guy, right? It was a minus 900 favorite. 
this is what you expected him to do. With somebody that has better better jujitsu, better takedown defense, it's going to be a lot harder to get in those positions. So once you do get that, you don't want to go for submissions that really don't have a high percentage chance and that have a chance for you to getting you know reversed in that position. And maybe you know your opponent's able to get up and you worked really hard for this takedown, you know, against a stronger grappler, right? So that's something he wants to maybe learn as he gets a little older. Go ahead. Oh, I, I think I don't think there's a whole lot of guys he's gonna have trouble taking down. It'll be holding them down. Dude, his entries are just unreal. Like I can't get over how freaking good his chain wrestling is. Like I can't, short of an Aljo or a Henry Cejudo, I don't know who's gonna give him a whole lot of trouble just on the takedown entry. But there are guys with amazing getup who scramble like a Corey Sandhagen who just scrambles, scrambles, scrambles. Those are the guys, yeah, I'm with you. I think he's going to, he might struggle more with them if he can't sink in those rear naked chokes and start attacking the back. And and to your point, his takedowns are both technique, like they're beautiful technique, but they're also a lot of raw explosiveness. Oh, like yeah. he has a lot of explosiveness with it. And oh, yeah. it's just crazy to see. I, I think he's a young, I mean, how old is he? I'm going to look that up real quick. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, let's see. He is 20, 28 years old. So he's, you know, still pretty young, but like, man, this dude put a rocket ship on his back. I'm excited to see what his next fight is. Um, let's move on to Jiga Kichadze versus Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres. Now, knowing this now, Bruce Leroy Caceres broke his uh, arm during the first round of that fight. So he actually fought two rounds with a broken arm. But Jiga Kichadze was end up to get into the nod. He was obviously out for about 18 months, coming back, had a little bit of ring rust in that first round. Potentially a couple of judges gave him the first round. Able to get the win tonight. What did you see from Giga? Um, I it went exactly how I thought it would, honestly. Like I I didn't think the fight was that close. And I like Bisbing was saying the fight was close, and people I know were saying the fight was close. I was like, I was like man, like Caceres like looks bad. Like I'm seeing Caceres punch the air and Giga land these hard, crisp shots. Like I didn't think it was even close. And I Caceres, but uh, there was an interview before the fight, and Caceres was like, I mean, I throw like and more like a loopy circular and he's like a straight down the he's he moves linearly and i'm like but he said it like that was a good thing which he's absolutely <laughs> right both those things are true but that is bad for alex right. if i do this and you do this who's winning because yours just came way faster than mine you know and i that's that was the tale of the entire fight like i think that i think that this is as high as about as high as we're going to see alex caceres get in the featherweight division I, I don't think, I think he does, he's very awkward, he's very difficult to fight, and he's really hard to finish, which are all great attributes. And he does have some power and some really sneaky tricks, but what he does for the most part is he does a lot of things awkwardly and almost like wrong, but he does them in a flashy way. And I think that that flashiness is only gonna get him about where he's at, which is like number 15. I, I feel like he's gonna struggle these crisp strikers like a Giga or even a Dan Ige, even though he does, he isn't as long as Caceres. Man, he's so these guys are too defensively sound to get knocked out by craziness, you know. And so, like we saw Caceres, like sure his punches were landing on Giga, but they were landing on like a, a guard. They were landing on an elbow. He was kicking way too close to cause any sort of damage to Giga's legs, you know. And like it just. To me, like, I, I don't understand that style, to be honest. But, like, it's it's more like I think people see him land and it looks exciting. But then you see him against somebody like Giga who's so tactical and so crisp and so accurate. And it kind of exposed 
Caceres a little bit more here because he's kind of he's been building up a lot of a lot of hype as of late and and he's done very well against you know like Daniel Pineda and uh and uh he knocked out Julian Arosa who is an underrated guy but he's not top 10 featherweight you know Right. He almost reminds me of like a Michelle Pereira, right? He, he's going yeah. to beat a lot of guys that aren't able to, you know, take all of that flashiness. But if you have somebody, like you said, stick in the middles, keep their hands up, keeps it sharp. In the first round, uh, Alex was able to, you know, lunge in and land a couple of shots. But like you said, he was landing a lot on the glove, wasn't really landing too many clean or powerful shots. The volume was there, like, you know, to show for maybe somebody just looking at the fight. But not necessarily landing a lot of power shots. And also, you got to remember, Giga's coming off of an 18-month layoff. So he has a little bit of octagon rust, too. But in the second and third round, it wasn't really that close. I mean, the shots that we were landing, the difference in power was evident. The snaps, the head of his him snapping back. Um, and it was not even close to whenever, you know, Bruce Leroy was landing anything. It was just slapping off the glove, essentially. It was kind of like pitter-patter shots. He can catch you with, like, a spinning kick. He threw some nice stuff. Almost hit, you know, a spinning back. Fist, uh, but outside that was of that, like one good, like really good moment. I agree. Outside of that, though, like you said, not too much out of there. Uh, but Giga Chichadze, now it's an interesting result. Actually, he lost against Calvin Cater before this one. Now he beats uh, Bruce Leroy Caceres at 15. What do you think's next for him? I mean, do you think maybe a Bryce Mitchell? You know, would you think that well, that would be potentially a next one for him? That would make sense. Like from a ranking standpoint, there's fights I'd rather see, obviously, because. Bryce can't hang with him on the feet and vice versa. Maybe um, Josh Emmett. Ooh, that's a fun fight. That is a very fun fight. I, I would think, you know, if you had asked me a year ago, I would say, hey, let Giga get one more, you know, a little bit lower level fight before you make that jump. But I think Josh, I think we're starting to see the years way on Josh Emmett, which bums me out because, man, he's so fun to watch. But he definitely hasn't looked the same his last couple times out. And yeah. he's taken I, that that could be a fun fight. I, I don't think Giga looks the same as he did like when he was fighting Barbosa. But like you said, he's had a long layoff. I'm not sure how I felt about the the Moicano copycat on the mic. That doesn't seem very genuine because usually I feel like a pretty like respectful, quiet guy. So that right. was a little weird for me, but it good was, for him. I hope he gets paid. <laughs> It was hard to see that as authentic for him just because, like, he, like you said, he's a quiet guy. He doesn't really talk much. Hey, our boy, Blake, appreciate you, uh, appreciate you, John and I. Um, but like you said, it, it's hard to see Giga kind of, like, have that side of him just because right. he's so reserved. Like, he's just one of those fighters that you ask him a question and he's very low, he's talking into the mic, and it's not really much, right? And, and then you have, you know, obviously the other side of that, but, you know, Outside of that, not too great. But like you said, great fight by Fujika Jikaze. Curious to see what the next move for him. We had a card that started at 5 a.m. There was actually five knockouts on the prelims. Were you able to catch any of those? So I, I did not wake up at 5 a.m. But okay. I did go back and watch the entire card. And, man, I the whole card was amazing. Like, it was absolutely amazing. Even, like, every single prelim fight. Uh, you know something I actually would like to touch on? Leon Na is better than I thought she was. Like, I I feel for her because I think she she did not, she she fought girls that were not good outside the UFC. The strength of schedule is very, very low. And she didn't have an opportunity to make the mistakes that she's making right now in the UFC outside the UFC. And now she's on a three fight skid and hope, hopefully won't get cut because she can wrestle. 
she's got some really good skills and she's tough, but she she makes she made a, an egregious mistake. She took this beautiful shot, beautiful double leg, dumped JJ Aldrich down, had top position, went to take the back, and then jumped off the back for literally nothing, not even for an arm, just for nothing. And like I was like, man, like I wish we could have seen her make that mistake on a regional show. So she didn't make that mistake in the cage against against JJ Aldrich because I, I actually think she's she's very talented. She just got in, I think, a little bit too soon. So that like that was kind of I, I was kind of realizing that as I was watching her. Good for JJ. Good good finish for her. But honestly, all the fights were great. The first fight of the night, uh, Sung Wu, he's like my most improved. I was not. Like, he was always exciting to watch, but I was kind of like, ah, he's just going to come out and throw like crazy. He looked crisp and controlled and measured and was countering that, like, his, like, when he trades his two with your two, like, that's, he looked phenomenal. Yeah, all the prelims fights as well. Um, You know, you, you kind of gave some love to your fight. Uh, I want to give a fight out to Michael Olajacek uh, versus Chidi Njikawani, man. Chidi is one of these guys that has the power, but, man, Michael put him out and you know chidi is now on a three fight skid after starting off two and oh so it's tough to see where he goes from here i think you might have seen what he brings to the table so it's, unless he develops some really good grappling and and counter wrestling maybe he can become a little more viable but outside of that i think we've seen the ceiling for him but man for michael uh ola Jacek, like dude that guy is a fun fighter fun fight to watch but if you guys didn't get to watch the fights obviously they did start a lot earlier this morning Watching the prelims probably takes a good 20 minutes because there were, what, four first-round finishes? <laughs> yeah. Two, uh, one second-round finish and a third-round um, <laughs> as well. So, like, uh, yeah. Pretty I got a shout-out. Any other final fights you want to talk about before we close it out? Absolutely. I got a shout-out, Garrett Armfield. Uh, we came up in the same MMA gym in Springfield, Missouri. He's a Missouri boy, too, a friend of mine. Looked absolutely phenomenal. If people don't know he took his UFC debut – at featherweight on like a couple of days notice and fought a really, really tough prospect at featherweight. This time he got to fight in his actual weight class. He got a full camp and looked absolutely phenomenal. Kick can box, kick and wrestle, has a super chin, is has cardio for days, is gonna be so fun to watch in that division. And with what you're saying with Chidi, I think Chidi just needs to develop some better decision-making because man, he was winning that fight. Like, he looked great on the outside. He was throwing these beautiful knees, beautiful kicks, and then for no reason at all, he's like, nah, I think I'll grapple now. You know, I, I don't, I think it's a, I don't even think it's a skill. It, obviously, like, yes, if he had better get up and better grappling, that would help. But I think his issue is a, is a fight IQ issue. And I don't know, I don't know if that's as easy to fix, to be honest. I'm not sure which one's harder. I think, like you said, the fight IQ might be a little bit harder to fix because um, to your point that you made um, about Leanne, uh, Liang Na, yeah. if she made those mistakes against some maybe higher level competition outside of the UFC, right? Same thing with uh, Chidi and Jukawani. Like if these fighters fought some better fighters outside the UFC, make some of those uh, problems or make some of those mistakes against some other fighters, maybe not lose, but hey, you make those mistakes against those fighters and you can come back and you can recover because you're just a more talented fighter in that situation. But it's interesting. But uh, I think with the growth of MMA, you're starting to see that a lot less, right? You still see that here and there. But I think the excellent part, I mean, you have, you know, LFA, you have Titan, you have Cage Warriors, you got PFL, you have all these different promotions 
that just rise or raise the level of MMA as a whole. I think that's just so beautiful to see. And I think that the growth of MMA overall is has been awesome. Guys, it's been 45 minutes. We appreciate you for checking us out. Still, shout out to Dave. Shout out to Blake for uh, for joining us in the comments. Shout out for the Rootless. The Rootless. L. Dawson for joining us Saturday night. Appreciate you joining us. Closing thoughts before we close out here. Just, guys, if you haven't seen this card, I know it started at 5 a.m. It is so worth spending your entire Saturday night rewatching this card. Every fight was good. There was not a bad fight on this card. The heavyweight fights were great. The, all the female fights were great. Just literally the whole card's amazing. Just go do it. Do yourself a favor. Make sure you guys watch all the fights. That's what we're here for, guys. And if you don't watch the fights, we'll watch them for you, and then we'll tell you about them, right? That's why we have a 45-minute podcast, so you don't got to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and stay until uh, about 1 o'clock. <laughs> Appreciate Blake. L, as always, for joining the Fight Bananas post-fight show. Like Blake said, L is Bananas royalty. We appreciate you for joining us. Didn't have a cameo by the dog today, but maybe next time we'll have that. No. Shout out Eric to Dave like- for giving us a platform. <laughs> Shout out to Fight Bananas. If you guys aren't already, make sure you guys like, subscribe, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the podcast feed, because we got all your fight news. We all got all your fight breakdowns. We got betting, everything coming at you. Appreciate you guys for joining us. After the next fight, we'll see you guys. Have a good night.